Welcome to the Get Yourself Together Chica podcast, the show that helps you thrive or, you know, sometimes just survive. I'm Rebecca Fernandez. In each episode, we dive deep into something that has an impact on our lives as women, whether that's money or love, motherhood or friendship, our careers, or just making space for joy. This is episode three, which is the second and final part of our series about international travel. In part one, we dug into the basics about how to plan and take amazing trips to places all over the world. We talked about how to afford those trips on almost any budget and how to save on airfare. If you haven't listened to part one, you'll want to do that first. Now it's time to talk about where to stay and how to get the most out of the experience. I'll also tell you about even more of my favorite places in the world and what I spent to get there. Plus, I'll give you some tips on how to get the most out of your travel experiences. As always, visit the show notes for links to some of the resources that I mention. And I'll also post pictures of some of these places at www.getyourselftogetherchica.com slash podcast. But first, I want to share what's bringing me joy this week. I have several bird feeding stations set up in my backyard, and I love to watch the birds while we're sitting on the porch having coffee. We just got back from our trip to the Azores, and while we were gone, it rained like crazy. Normally, the bird feeders would be all empty when we got home but instead they had gotten kind of gross and moldy inside. So when I sat down on the porch with my coffee, I noticed that a little goldfinch was sitting up on the feeder. It was bright yellow, the goldfinch, not the feeder, so that means he was a male. And he started taking these very small bites of bird seed from the suet feeder, and then, quite dramatically, spitting them out. If you have bird feeders like we do, then you know some of the breeds of birds will very clearly communicate to you that the food has spoiled or run out. Or they'll show you that they're pleased when you refill it. They show you they're happy if you put a new variety in there. So I responded to the little guy, and my son helped me clean everything out and refill it all. And what's been bringing me joy is how happy my little Carolina wrens have been. The Carolina wrens are probably the loudest songbird that we have here in Raleigh. In fact, I have to be careful when I'm recording this show, because sometimes the mic will pick up their songs in the background. But ever since we freshened up the food for them, they have been fluttering around just outside the porch, chattering happily to each other, singing more, and even just sort of hovering there in the air looking at us. It seems like they're saying thank you. So that's what's been bringing me joy this week. Okay, I want to talk for a moment about that phrase, the trip of a lifetime, and more so the mentality behind it. Because the more you get into traveling, the more you will hear people use that phrase when you say that you have a trip coming up. And for me, it's kind of a sad concept, this idea that you'll have just one or maybe two big adventures in your whole life. The truth is, international travel, at least for Americans, has become so affordable, there's really no need for it to be a -a once-in-a-lifetime experience for most people. For example, back in January of 2023, I spent eight days in Costa Rica with my partner and another couple. We ate out every meal, we didn't really watch our spending, and my total cost for that trip was a little over $1,700. The other three people who went, they each paid about the same amount. In July of 2022, my partner and I took three of our kids to Portugal for seven days. We ate out every meal, we splurged on a few big excursions and on a pretty nice Airbnb, and my total cost for me and my two kids was about $4,600. By way of comparison, a few years ago, we flew to Orlando for a long weekend, 
and we spent just two days in the Disney parks. That whole experience cost me more than $3,300 for myself and two kids. And I know plenty of families who spend upwards of eight dollars or $10,000 on an ordinary five-day vacation to a tropical resort that's essentially identical to all of the other ones out there. When you approach travel, especially international travel, with that trip-of-a-lifetime mentality, I think it leads you to make expensive choices that then limit how often you can take trips like that in the future. For example, think about lodging. When you're choosing a place to stay, whether that's a hotel or something like an Airbnb, unless you're in a place that's just unbelievably low-cost compared to home, my advice is just to stay somewhere that's a similar level of comfort as you would expect at home. Going on this trip is the luxury, not staying in some fancy hotel on the other side. I mentioned in episode two that my partner and I scored plane tickets to Barcelona for $365 a piece back in January of 2022. After I booked those flights, I just kept an eye out for good hotel deals near the city center, starting with that basic Google search that you can do that brings up a little map with prices. There's almost always at least one hotel in a good spot with good ratings and good reviews for a great price. For Barcelona, I grabbed us a hotel for $310 for the entire week. The room, as it turned out, was tiny. I saw that in the reviews, so it wasn't a surprise. Except for how tiny, tiny can be. Like, you could just barely walk by the foot of the bed to get to the teeny tiny little balcony that was on the other side. In fact, my partner is over six feet tall, and when he laid down on that bed and stretched out, he could actually touch both of the walls at the same time the wall at his head and the one at his feet. But you know what? It was charming, and the staff was delightful, and all we needed was a place to sleep anyway. And actually, we still laugh about how tiny the hotel room was, so it's kind of become a sweet memory that we share. We stayed in a similar hotel in Paris one time, and the lobby had one of those little bitty chihuahuas who belonged to either the front desk attendant or maybe the doorman. We never really did figure it out. My partner is a total dog lover, so he asked them if he could pet it, and they both said, oh yeah, yeah, sure. When he reached into that little doggy bed in the window, that tiny beast snarled at him, nipped at him, and made it very clear that he was not down with being petted. And what we still laugh about is the way that both of the employees just chuckled as if to say, well, what can you do? It was so very French. I'll post a picture of that little guy in the show notes for you too. One thing that might not be obvious when you look at some of our trip photos is that I almost never travel anywhere during the high season. You're not going to find great deals on flights or hotels if you're looking at the time of year when everyone else wants to be there, or at least you're going to have to get pretty lucky to find them. But the thing is, high season in one place is low season somewhere else, or better yet, it'll be the shoulder season, that time in between high and low, when the weather's pretty good but the crowds are not so big. My criteria for whether it's a, quote, good time of year to go somewhere is to look at how the weather compares to staying home. So I'll go to Southern Europe in the winter or the early spring because it's probably going to be warmer than it is in Raleigh, and I'm going to go outdoors and have a lot more fun. If the price is right, worst case scenario, I have a little getaway. I get to see a place when it's mostly locals there, and maybe I make a mental note that I'd like to come back there closer to high season. Best case scenario, I get to avoid the crowds, the long lines, the weary locals who are dealing with these masses of tourists, and all of the other headaches that go along with traveling somewhere 
at the same time as everyone else in the world. You can really save a lot if you try to live like a local wherever you go, in your food choices, in the kinds of amenities you expect. I like to start with free and low-cost activities earlier in the trip before I start booking expensive excursions. I ask around and see what's worth the cost and what's just an expensive way to kill some time and is something you could do anywhere in the world. I also like to sketch out a rough plan and itinerary for my trips ahead of time. Basically just a Google Doc of stuff that we want to see, how to get to those places, things that should be seen in one day, things that are good for a bad weather day, um, what the hours and days that it's open and closed are, just that sort of thing. You can use travel blogs and things online to do that. But to be honest, they all have the same handful of places that they tend to feature for a location. And they use annoying phrases like, there's the money shot or the million dollar view. And then they spoil it for you by showing you all of their beautiful pictures, which, by the way, look better than any pictures you're going to take and are probably filtered. So I tend to just pick up an old school travel book and I plan that way. The books by Rick Steves are my favorite by far, but the Lonely Planet books are pretty good, too. If I can find a small book that's focused on just the city or the island that we're going to, I tend to prefer those over the ones that cover a whole country or a whole region. One, because I can throw it in my backpack when we're there and refer to it, and two, because they tend to have a lot more detail about the place that we're going. And actually, if you look at studies into why travel brings people happiness, a big part of the happiness actually comes before the trip, when you're planning it and looking forward to it. So don't underestimate the value of looking through a little book and writing down a rough plan. Oh, I've been meaning to tell you what I've been listening to this week. I love the Insight Timer meditation app. And this morning, I stumbled upon the most delightful track from one of the meditation teachers, Liza Kolpa. It's a 17-minute singing bowl meditation using these ethereal-sounding crystal singing bowls, and it just made my week. Something about the frequency of those bowls together with her voice, it just unleashed all kinds of creative ideas in my mind, and it gave me such a pleasant feeling of peace. I'll post a link in the show notes for you. Anyway, another trick to save money on international travel is to stack deals wherever you can. So for example, if I'm going to stay at an Airbnb, which I often do if I'm traveling with more than one or two other people, First, I'm going to look for an Airbnb that's on sale or otherwise a good deal. One of my more memorable deals was a listing named What Tower? Because in the backyard, there was a water tower. But guess what? The front yard looked out on the beach. How much time do you think we were going to spend looking at the backyard? None. So we got a great little beach house rental that was hundreds of dollars less expensive than the identical properties around it. After I find a great deal, and I read every review so I know what I'm getting into, if it's with Airbnb, I know there's a good chance that I can find discounted gift cards for Airbnb on raise.com. Now, I might only save 5% by buying and using those gift cards, but if the property costs me $1,500 to rent, then 5% is $75 saved, and that's money I can put toward fun on my trip. I'll put a link in the show notes to the websites that I mentioned, so don't worry if, it's, if you're uh, having a hard time understanding exactly what they are. The same is true for other websites. For example, I can find a great hotel deal or a great rental car deal, and then often I can stack that deal with another by reserving it through Expedia and getting a little discount that way too. Or I might get some Expedia points, which then gives me a discount the next time I book something on the site. These are small savings, but they do add up. 
and they condition you to look for little opportunities to stretch your travel budget. Basically, whatever it is that you're spending money on when you travel, there's probably a lower cost way to do that thing and a good way. So take a little time, do a little research, do some light Googling, and see what you come up with. For example, we often take public transportation when we're in Europe because the transit systems tend to be pretty good, and it's a lot of fun and a good learning experience for my kids. It's often significantly less expensive than taking a rental car or a taxi or an Uber. In most major cities, there's an easy train or streetcar or bus option that goes directly from the airport to the city center. And many times, that is faster and cheaper than trying to hail a taxi, especially if you're a family of five or six and you're going to need two taxis. Even if you need to rent a car, it's pretty unusual to need a rental car every single day of your trip. So if you plan your trip well, you might be able to pay for just a few days with a rental car while you go do your exploring, and then use public transportation or walking or taxis for the rest. When it comes to eating out, don't make the mistake that I made when I first visited Italy. I spent almost a full week going from place to place across northern Italy, just choosing whatever dish looked good on the menu. I noticed that they had a specials board outside the restaurants and cafes, but I didn't really think about what it meant. Which is silly, because there were a few words of Italian above those daily specials everywhere we went, the same few words, and I didn't take the time to think about what those words meant. When I finally did, on my second to last day of the trip, I realized that the words were plate of the day, meaning that in almost every cafe and restaurant, they had a fixed three-course meal that was available for a great price. In fact, I was often ordering some or all of those same courses off of the regular menu, not realizing that I was paying almost double for my meals when I would have been perfectly happy sticking with the three set courses of the day. So now when I travel, I'm always on the lookout to see if there's a special like that that recurs across different restaurants in the city. It goes by different names, but it's a common thing. And by the way, I don't eat meat, so often those specials won't work for me anyway. But I have found that if you mention you're vegetarian or that you eat fish but not meat, sometimes they actually have a workaround and you can still get the special. But you know what? Even when I've made little mistakes like that and learned little lessons sometimes too late, the trip is still very affordable. That time, my partner and I spent nine days in northern Italy. We took trains from Milan to Venice. We saw Bergamo and Verona. We even made it up to the Lombardy Lakes, which totally look like the kind of place where James Bond is going to step out of every boat and every hotel on every corner. And my half of that nine-day Italy adventure was a little over $2,200 all in. Okay, these days, there's rarely any good reason to pay your own cell phone provider for international data or phone coverage, because you can buy a local SIM card or electronic SIM card to use while you're traveling often without even leaving the airport, and it's going to cost you so much less, and often it's going to give you better cell phone service. Again, do a little Googling before you go, because it can really help a lot in keeping your costs down. And pro tip, have a safe place where you put your physical SIM card from your phone um, and have a little SIM key that you use to change it out. Put that in a place where you run no risk of throwing it away. Don't ask how I know that one. And speaking of cell phones, one of the most tragic things I see when I travel is the way that mobile phones and social media interfere with people's enjoyment of travel. I'll be out to dinner at a rooftop restaurant on the other side of the world, 
and I'll see an entire American family sitting at the table next to me, completely oblivious to the beautiful view, to each other, because they're all staring down at their screens. Why would you go halfway around the world and then spend all your time on Facebook or TikTok? Or I'll be at an incredible historical site where the architecture is just breathtaking, and I'll watch as people walk up to it and immediately start snapping photos on their phones before they've even taken a moment to observe what's in front of them. In fact, there was a study recently that showed people enjoy travel less when they take photos with the goal of sharing it on social media. So that's my biggest tip. Be present when you travel. Take a moment to take a mental picture first of wherever you are and whatever you're seeing before you start snapping the digital pictures. Wherever you are, be there. Pay attention to the sounds and the smells and the temperature. And for heaven's sake, please don't watch videos or take your phone calls on speakerphone, please. I have a Garmin watch from my distance running days, and I usually wear it because it lets me know if I have a phone call or a calendar appointment without having to pull out my phone and possibly get sucked into it like everybody else. But on my most recent trip, as soon as we arrived, my watch just stopped charging. I tried all the usual tricks, clearing the ports off, manual reset, so forth, but nope. So I ended up going that entire trip without a watch. And you know what? It was wonderful. Each day, I would realize at some point that I had no idea what time it was, or even what day it was. It was as if the whole week plus was this infinite expanse of time spread out for just the two of us to be together, hiking through some of the most beautiful vistas on the planet lingering over brunch or dinner or a cup of coffee, just being together and happy and in love. And oh, by the way, the moment that I got back home and plugged my watch back in to charge, it started working again. Tell me that's not a sign from the universe that maybe I needed to pause on this trip and unhook myself from my calendar and from the clock and just be. Or okay, if you are not superstitious, I suppose it could also be some kind of issue with the power outlets and conversions and stuff, but that's a much more boring answer. I think that's ultimately what I love most about travel and why I spend so much of my disposable income on it. So many of my sweetest memories are from trips that we've taken. My partner often says he feels like we've spent lifetimes together because we've done so much in just six years. I'll never forget my daughter at eight years old bravely shivering but soldiering on as we hiked up and up and up this endless mountain on the Westmajor Islands in Iceland. It was freezing and it was windy, and just at the moment when I thought she's going to give up on me here, a tiny little lamb started following us on the dirt road. We both still remember that she named it Marshmallow, and I remember how everywhere we went to eat after that, if they had lamb on the menu, she would look horrified and wonder if they were related. I'll never forget my son at 16, staring wide-eyed at the bicycle lanes in Amsterdam, just so completely delighted at the city design. That was his birthday trip um, for turning 17, actually, although we went a little early. And I just think that's a gift he's going to remember his whole life. I'll always remember the way that my partner looked at me across the breakfast table in Arangestead with just this sheer dumbfounded happiness when we realized we missed our flight home and we were going to have to spend four extra days in Aruba. I'll always laugh when I think about the endless bumpy dirt road that Google Maps directed us down the first time we were in Costa Rica. My best friend and I just looked at each other in the back seat 
as our partners sat up front and debated just how long seven kilometers was going to take on this kind of terrain. The answer turned out to be about an hour. We passed three farm workers, and the mystified look that they gave us suggested that perhaps this was not a popular route to the cloud forest. And by the time we pulled back out onto a major road, I really, really wished I had taken my friend up on her offer of motion sickness medication. But when we stopped at that first roadside restaurant, starving and exhausted on the other side of that wild ride, our lunch of beans and rice and fresh fruit juice was so unbelievably good. And I've never in my life felt such appreciation for access to a public restroom. It's true what they say. The things that go wrong often make the best memories. I'll drive an old car, and I'll live in a modest home, and I'll make my own coffee if it means I can have a lifetime full of moments like those. Well, it's time to share what blew my mind this week. One night during our travels in the Azores, we were having dinner in our favorite restaurant, Adega Regional, which is located in the town of Ponta Delgada. We overheard a couple at a nearby table mention Coach K, the basketball coach at Duke University. At first, we figured, well, you know, he's a pretty famous guy. We didn't think too much of it. But then one thing led to another, and we started chatting, and they asked where we were from. My partner said, the Carolinas. And they said, oh, so are we. Which Carolina? I said, North Carolina. And they said, so are we. Whereabouts? And when I said Raleigh, they said, no way, us too. We chatted a little bit about what they'd seen and what they'd done so far, where they were headed next. And I mentioned in passing that we had taken our four kids to Greece earlier this year. The man said, wait, we have four kids too. And when I said, oh, well, two are my kids and two are his kids, technically. Then his wife said, no, two are mine and two are his kids. By the end of that conversation, I think all of our minds were a little blown because it's not every day that you meet a couple on the other side of the world who seems to be living out a parallel existence to your own in the same very city where you all live. So here's a shout out to Fred and Stephanie. I hope you made it to Lisbon and I hope you had a blast. Well, chicas, that's all for today. For more episodes or links to the resources I might have mentioned, visit www.getyourselftogetherchica.com slash podcast. If you liked today's episode, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. If you love this podcast, make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any episodes. And please, I would value so much if you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen to podcasts. Until next time, chicas. Today's episode is sponsored in part by Gail Van Mater Photography. When you need a professional photo for your LinkedIn profile or that panel you're speaking on, do you have a photo that you're proud to share? Does it show your personality and make you shine? Is it more than five years old? When it's time to update your professional image, if you're in the Triangle area of North Carolina, visit gailvanmaterphotography.com. Van Mater is spelled V-A-N-M-A-T-R-E. I'll put a link in the show notes to make it easy. Be sure to mention this podcast to get a special offer.